You're listening to an audio message from Palm Vista Community Church. If you would like to check out more resources, please visit palmvista.org. Welcome to Palm Vista Community Church as we continue our series in the Sermon on the Mount. We've entitled the series, Sermon on the Mount, A Portrait of a Disciple. Why? Because it shows us what a disciple looks like. And we've been preaching on this whole person righteousness. In other words, a righteousness that's from the inside out. It's not just something like the Pharisees and the hypocrites had, which was an outward righteousness that didn't really reflect a person's heart. They kind of like putting a mask on or play acting. But no, this is a whole person righteousness where God begins to work in our lives and he changes you. And as he changes you in your heart, you start acting differently. You start living differently differently. You start doing things maybe you didn't used to do. And for many of us, you stop doing some of the things that we used to do. And we're pleasing God. So this whole person righteousness. A couple of weeks ago, Corey preached on how we have this whole stewardship or what we talk about with our money and our possessions. This week, we're going to talk about Whole relationships, whole relationships. What does that mean? That means this whole person righteousness, how it plays out and how we deal with the money God has given us, the possession God has given us two weeks ago. This week, how this whole person righteousness plays out in our relationships. We're going to be preaching from Matthew 7, 1 through 12. So, whole relationships. Do you have whole relationships? You know, you can have a lot of things, but if your relationships are not whole, if your relationships are fractured, broken, difficult, your life is very frustrated. You know what I'm talking about? What, what are whole relationships? Those are relationships that are marked by God's grace. Those are relationships that are real. Do you walk in real relationships? Or are you afraid to be who you really are because you think people won't like you? Or you can't be who you really are. You're living a fake life and you know it. And it's not satisfying. Whole relationships are encouraging. Do do you walk in encouraging relationships Or do you find yourself sometimes walking in criticism and even discouraging relationships? When you lay your head down at night, you you think, wow, I, I am not encouraged at all. Whether it's in my marriage, whether it's in my parenting, whether it's with my friends, whether it's with my family, even my neighbors, you're tormented by them. So whole relationships are real, whole relationships are encouraging, and whole relationships are filled with grace. Are your relationships filled with grace? Here's what I mean by that. Do you treat others the way you want them to treat you with grace? Or do you have unrealistic expectations of others' actions And they always seem to be disappointing you. While wanting them to just simply look at your intentions. So do you have whole relationships? Does that mark your life? Do you walk in them? When God changes us, he changes 
all of us from the inside out, how we deal with our money, how we deal with our possessions, and how we deal in our relationships. A friend of mine who I hadn't seen for probably 35 years recently sent me a couple of pictures. And these pictures reminded me of this message. Because they spoke of relationships, what it means to have relationships and how important relationships are. In this case, relationships between two nations and the difficulty it is to have whole relationships between two nations. And uh, when this first picture is shown, I want to remind you, this was 40 years ago. So 40 years ago, I was uh, assigned... You can move quickly on from that picture. As a liaison officer, a young lieutenant in Germany with my friend Frank Bicknell, who's, this is the next picture you're going to see here. And uh, our job in the late 70s was to forge relationships with the German army. So back then the world was very, very different. It was the Cold War. You had two huge armies facing off against each other in Europe. You had the Soviet Union and what's called the Warsaw Pact facing West with all of their armies. And then you had NATO. The United States was leading that effort facing East. And our job as young lieutenants was to be embedded with the third German Corps. You see the German officers here on the left. And uh, we were to affect this coordination when it comes to the field artillery support so that we might stand strong. It was very important that we had whole relationships. It was very important that we had real relationships. It was very important that we had encouraging relationships. Now, God wasn't in the picture overtly at that time in many respects in my life. But I would add that the main relationship is obviously our relationship with God. But just to borrow from this illustration for a moment, you see two different nations. It's difficult to have relationships that are real and encouraging unless both sides work really hard at something. Both sides need to work really hard at understanding or discerning themselves, their strengths and their weaknesses, and trying to understand or discern the other party. Now, because we're believers, it's this starts with God. If there's ever two people or two entities that are very different, it's us and God. And so in our text, we're going to talk about what it means to have a whole relationship with God. And it's going to be very important that we discern God properly. We can only do that because God has opened our eyes to him. But when it's talking about our relationships with one another, there are so many differences. The differences we had began with language. So we had to learn German. It began with culture. We had to have more of a relationship than just saying hi and grinning at each other in the morning. We had to be very close because we may have to have gone to combat together and we had to know each other, be a team, have real relationships, have encouraging relationships. We had to know each other and overcome so many barriers. In fact, I often think about those days in my life that God used that to prepare me to pastor a church in Miami, Florida. Because friends, we are so different. To include the language barrier. I'm looking at, around at this crowd. 
God calls us to have whole relationships that are real. So I'm real with you. You're real with me that are encouraging. And obviously at the core of them is God. And to do that without just smiling at you on Sunday and really just saying, hi, how are you? Oh, you're wonderful. But not having a real relationship. I've got to discern who I am. And I've got to take an interest and discern who are you? Listen, forget about nations. How about with the person you're seated next to? If you're married, that might be your spouse. Maybe your parent, your child, maybe your good friend. Just trying to communicate across that barrier. Forget two nations, forget languages, forget culture, forget socioeconomic status. Hey, here's a barrier for you. If you're married, guys, newsflash, you're a guy, she's a girl, and you're really different. Hey, and if you want to have more than just a polite smile at each other every morning, you know, friendship, which it can devolve to that, and eventually those don't end well, you've got to be able to discern who you are, your strengths and weaknesses, who she is, her strengths and weaknesses, and obviously as Christians, God must be right at the center of all that. So, so... Look, there's, there's probably nothing that touches the core of who we are more than our relation, relationships. And if you have the righteousness of Christ, that means that it plays out with that person right next to you in real time. Not in fake time, not just on Sunday morning when you hit the, the, roll the reel and all right, Sunday morning, here we're going to be. Not, but I mean like every day. Good days, bad days. Wonderful financial reports, not so good financial reports. Jobs that are going great, jobs that are not going great. When they get in an accident or you get in an accident and they don't get in an accident. Every day. And this is what God offers us and tells us about here in this text in Matthew 7, 1 to 12. Here's the key to whole relationships. You ready? That we would discern ourselves others, and most importantly, God rightly. Or as Jesus would say in the text, judge rightly. That is the main point of this text. Judge rightly. Christ came to enable us to judge or discern our own hearts, to discern others, and obviously, firstly, to discern who he is rightly. He came to give us his righteousness so that we might be able to do this in light of his cross, that we would discern ourselves and others and certainly God through the redemptive lens of Christ's cross and Christ's word and not through the fallen lens of our wayward hearts and this world's criteria. So two points that are absolutely crucial. We must judge others rightly, and we must judge God rightly. Point one, judge others rightly, or as the text would read, judge others fairly. Let me read it to you. Matthew 7, 1. Judge not that you not be judged. For with the judgment that you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite. 
First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. I use the word judge here because that is the word that Jesus uses at the very beginning of this text. But wait a second. He doesn't say judge. What does he say at the beginning of this text? Judge not. In fact, this is probably one of the most oft quoted verses in scripture, particularly by non-believers. We should not judge, period. You're not the boss of me. Don't tell me what to do. And so that's how it's interpreted. We say, you know what? Jesus doesn't judge and neither should we. Really? You see, in verses 2 and 3, we see exactly that that is not the case. Look at verse 2. Why do you see the speck? Excuse me. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. God will judge you. He will. See, the point of this verse and the following verses, three through five, is using the word judging in the broader definition of it. We would define judging as condemning. This word, okay, it's a Greek word that's translated judge here, has a range of meaning, and that range of meaning includes discerning, perceiving, seeing, understanding. If you go back to the illustration, when we were trying to work with our German counterparts, we needed to discern, to see, to understand. Where did they come from? What's their worldview? What's important to a German officer? What is the the key thing that motivates them? And we needed to understand that about ourselves so then we could work together. That's the idea. So, So really what God is saying here is judge fairly that you not be judged. And judging fairly, we do it in the fear of God. And judging fairly means that we love our neighbor. See, it's such fair which brackets or governs Jesus' discussion on whole relationships here in his text that flow from whole person righteousness. Let's dig further. We are called to judge fairly because we will be judged by God. We just mentioned that in verse 2. In fact, these words of verse 2 sound a lot like what we hear in the Lord's Prayer. Remember, we will be and are forgiven as what? We forgive those who've sinned against us. See, these truths really make us think. They make us really like slowly think about this. How fair and gracious am I in my discernment of others? Remember that word judge, discernment. Do I just mock that German officer because he stands ramrod straight and shows little emotion? And I'm a Cuban boy from Miami thinking, oh my goodness, not only is it cold here temperature-wise, but do these people have a pulse? Or do I say, you know what? Maybe this dude's got some stuff I don't have. He's really disciplined. See what I'm saying? 
We're judging according to the graciousness that we have received in Christ. And as Christians, on top of that, actually what what is the foundation of that is that the gospel of Jesus Christ informs us how we should judge, yes, even forgive. We're judging, we're discerning others through the lens of Christ and the cross. This is the point later on in, in Matthew when Jesus gives us this parable of the unforgiving servant in Matthew 18. And he says very clearly, you've been forgiven much, therefore you forgive much. See, not only are we to look at how we have been treated by our gracious God and the warning that we better treat others that way, but we're also to look and examine our hearts first. This is what it says in verses three to five. Look at them with me. Verse three, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? What he's saying there is, as I look at that German officer, and I might see something that I would be tempted to mock because there's no emotion. First, I want to look at my own eye and see my total lack of discipline. I know that might shock some of you. <laughs> and the fact that maybe I'm not really strong in planning and, and you know, being disciplined with my time. And realize, you know, I've got a log in my eye. Yes, I, w- I think this guy can be more relational and, and, and he can relate to me better. But first, let me take the log out of my eye so I can help him with his eye. Now, in the church, this is, this is going to be multiplied. Because in Christ, if we have whole person righteousness in whole relationships, we must first discern our own faults before addressing others with their faults, especially when we're in conflict with others. Why? To make sure that the speck in their eye is not just a reflection of the log that is in our eye. So that we might humble ourselves and see our sin. Oh, but even much greater and see God's grace before addressing others. I found this to be the case. Often the thing that bothers me most about you is the thing that perhaps I wrestle with. See, in discerning our own hearts first and removing our log, we are qualified to assist in helping remove a brother's speck. And that is a gift to them, friends. That's loving our neighbor. So the scripture is talking about discerning and loving one another. But this is what it's not talking about. It is not talking about taking God's place of ultimate judgment from his throne. James, who understood this text, years later writes, I believe, about this text in James chapter 4, verses 11 to 12. On the screen, James 4, 11 to 12. Do not speak against your brother. One another, brothers, the one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks against speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge. He who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Here's what I think this is saying. You're to discern, especially after you've looked at the log in your own eye, but you're never to condemn and write them off. See, this is where it really gets difficult, doesn't it? Because the moment 
that I step into God's place. I'm trespassing on his throne and I'm writing people off. I'm condemning them. I'm saying, you know what? They'll never be saved. And we do that with one another all the time. You don't have that authority. And when you do it, you're playing God. And God is saying, stop trespassing on my glory and my throne. Can you and should you discern? Absolutely. But you always do it graciously, understanding that, boy, I've been forgiven much. Understandingly that, understanding that only God truly sees my heart and their heart. See, the problem is the moment you write somebody off, what you're saying is, I know your heart. Absolutely. I am now going to pronounce the authoritative judgment. And what I think about you is right. Therefore, if you don't agree with that, I'm going to write you off. And we can't do that. We can offer input. We can be discerning. And it's important to be discerning. But we cannot play God in each other's lives. I know for me, that's when I've gotten in the most trouble in my parenting with my children. I think I see something in my child and I'm going to really help them, quote unquote. So I'm going to say, God, I got this one. I'm going to go ahead and play Holy Spirit here. I'm going to discern it. I'm going to give you how you're going to be able to succeed. I'm going to tell you what to do and not to do. And it's only by the grace of God that my wife will look at me and say, sweetheart, stop. You've brought the word to them. Now you need to let God work on their heart. You can't play Holy Spirit. So, so we are to discern, you got it? But we can't play God. And I believe that's what Jesus is saying here in this text. We're to discern right and wrong. We're, 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 to, we're, we're to help people. And, and we're to discern fairly and rightly. And this is good and this is a blessing. You see, not discerning is dangerous for ourselves and for others. Look at verse six. Not an easy verse to understand. Maybe the hardest verse to understand in the whole Sermon on the Mount. Do not give dogs what is holy and do not throw your pearls before pigs. Jesus was definitely not concerned with what people thought about what he was saying at this point. Remember, he's speaking to Jews. Lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Now, it's not easy to understand this. I think what he's talking about here is the pigs would be the unbelieving Jews that refuse to accept what Jesus is saying on the Sermon on the Mount. He's talking about those that want to keep playing games and not really embrace heart righteousness. I think he can also later be talking about when he said to his disciples, if you go to a city and they don't receive it, shake the dust off your feet and move on in in Matthew 10. So what does that mean? It means that we need to discern so that when we share with people, there may be some times when God leads us to move on to those that are receptive with the gospel. Here's the point. To be discerning about our audience and who we approach is not bad. It's actually wisdom. So I know that's nuanced. I know that's difficult to understand, but this is what Jesus is telling us. Whole relationships begins when we judge others fairly. Point two, whole relationships are based on judging God rightly. Look at verses 7 to 11 with me. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who receives, who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. 
Or which one of you, if he has a son, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Here's what I think Jesus is saying. We must discern God rightly. And we know as Christians that we cannot discern God rightly unless he first opens our eyes to who he is. The illustration here is this, those of you who have children. If your child comes and asks you for a piece of bread, will you give him a rock? If he asks you for a fish, will you give him a serpent? Well, of course not. And then he goes from the lesser to the greater. And you who are evil, if you will give good gifts to your children when they ask you, how much more will your father in heaven give you what is good when you ask him? So you see, here's the question. Are you discerning God rightly? Right now, this second, stop what you're doing and think about it. Is God good? I want you to think in terms of your most recent conflict. Think in terms of the most recent thing that you want that you're not getting. Think in terms of the thing that's making you most agitated right now, that you're most worried about. You know, that hollow space in your gut where you're not whole? I want you to think about that. Will God take care of you? Will he take care of your marriage? Will will he give you that relationship you desire? See, at the root of this is, Jesus is saying, you must discern God rightly. Oh, you bet. And if you're saying to me, oh, well, we would never judge God. We would never discern God. Come on, man, we all do. Wake up. Let's get real, right? Take the mask off for a second. Take the religious mask off for a second. You are judging God all the time. Just get in traffic tomorrow morning. You'll be talking to him and others (laughs) simultaneously. And what you're saying Reveals your judgment of God. Your anxiety. Your fear. Your anger. It says so much about how you view God. Is he a good father who when I ask him for a piece of bread. Gives me bread or does he, do I get rocks? Can I just show you my collection of rocks Al? I ask him for a fish and he gives me a steak. No, he gives you the fish you need. Don't we remember what we just read? Your father who is in heaven knows what you need before you ask it of him. And he will give you what you need. Maybe not what you think you need or when you think you need it, but he will, man. How do I know that? How do I know that? Because I look at the cross, I discern God, I judge God through the redemptive lens of Christ and the cross. And I remember what Corey preached to us a couple of weeks ago. He who did not spare his own son, you, I'm talking to, how would he not with him, Christ, freely give you all things? I can't explain to you why the all things don't include the thing you're thinking about right now that you want. I can't explain that. But I can tell you this, God is good. He proved that on the cross when a good, holy, righteous man, Christ, the God man, died for unholy, unrighteous men and women like us. See, that's where we go back to point one. We've got to discern ourselves rightly. 
See, the question isn't why do bad things happen to good people? You're not discerning rightly. Why does anything good happen to evil people? Because that's what the Bible says. Man, we're born with that. But God will give us whole relation. I just want to, I just want to tell you this. God's going to give you whole relationships. Look, I'm looking around. Many of you I know very well. And many of you, we've talked this week. (laughs) I was telling somebody the other day. This week was crazy, man. My car broke. My computer broke. I felt like writing a country western song, you know. (laughs) I mean, everything was broke. My back started hurting, you know. And I laughed and I said... And this week I had the privilege to hear the the, the brokenness of of several families in this church. Like everything's broken. Everything's broken, man. And the temptation can be to play God, firstly. Out of the way, God, I'm going to fix this one. You know, fifth, fifth trip to the repair shop with my car. It's still not fixed, okay? My computer's still over at Apple right now. How do you live without a computer? So anyways, uh... But, but in those relationships, look, you, you've got broken relationships. You're sitting there right now and you know it. It hurts. There can come a desperation and a depression and just you're going out of your mind. You've tried all kinds of warfare. Some of you do, you know, guerrilla warfare. You sneak in at night, you know, <laughs> metaphorically speaking. Um, some of you do cold warfare. Back in the cold war, you just don't talk. Some of you do nuke, the nuclear option. <laughs> You're just firing all the rockets, right? And the dust clears. Ah, oh, the building's still there. It didn't work. And, and we're laughing, but it's not funny, is it? But I'm telling you right now, listen to me. He's a good father. And he will give you the, the desires of your heart. He will pray to him for whole relationships. You got that? How will they know that the father sent the son by the fact that his children love each other? And that starts in your marriage, in your parenting. Obviously with your neighbors. It's the great commandment. Love God, love one another. Point three. Can't forget point three. Who doesn't know point three? I would say every person in this auditorium knows point three, right? What's the golden rule? Do unto others before they do unto you. No, no, wait, 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 slow down. Let's get this right. <laughs> That's the South Florida point three. <laughs> Cut him off before he cuts you up. No, let's read it together. Verse 12. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. What? Wait a second, Jesus. Don't simplify this thing. I've got theology books this thick on my bookshelf from RTS days. It's got to be more confusing than that. You're telling me the whole law and the prophets is do whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets? Yes. You know why? Because righteousness, though not simplistic, simplifies. And sin always complicates. Because if you think about it this way, if we all lived by this rule, you don't need any more. 
the 14 million rules I got to have to make sure you don't rip me off and you to make sure I don't rip you off. And I haven't read it, but thank you for reading it, Corey, many, many times. And Nestor, the contract that we are trying to sign with this place. Yeah, I, I just almost started throwing up when I read it. I just went, no, I just, I ran away from it, you know. I said, Corey, how's that contract thing going? <laughs> Smoke's coming out of his ears. Why, why are there contracts like that? Because we're sinners, man. And I got to try to make up a million rules to tell you how to live so it doesn't affect me. Jesus says, by the way, the Pharisees asked him the same thing. Remember? Hey, of the 484,000 laws. I know there's not that many. I'm exaggerating. Okay. Which one's the most important one? They thought they had him, man. Man, I got him. He just says, well, actually, there's just one. Love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And the second one's a correlate. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's what Jesus is saying here. See, if I love you as I love myself, if I do to you what I want you to do to me, trust me, that solves everything. Whether it's between nations or a brother and a sister or a husband and a wife. I'm just going to treat you like I want you to treat me. I'm going to discern you with the graciousness I wish you would discern me. I'm going to look at your intentions and not just what you did. (laughs) You keep saying you're going to clean your room. and clean. (laughs) I don't know why I brought that up. Uh, I don't have any kids at home with unclean rooms. I just thought I'd throw it in there, right? As for you with teenagers right now. Uh, <laughs> but <laughs> but I, I want you to discern like, but I really want to clean my room. Can you just give me credit that I want to stop yelling at you? No. No, even when you talk to me with that eyebrow raise, I know what yelling looks like. I'm not even yelling. Oh, I know what that eyebrow goes up. You're yelling. And actually, they're right, because in my heart I am. I've just learned to be smart enough not to actually yell, so I can kind of get away with it. But in my heart, I'm yelling at you, right? So, so God, listen, this verse isn't just the summary of our text today. This verse, verse 12, is the summary of the whole sermon up to this point. This verse is the summary of the law and the prophets. This is the verse that Paul, I think, was thinking of by divine inspiration when he wrote the following in Galatians 6, 2 on the screen. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. It's not simplistic. There is theology behind it. You have to study. I'm glad I took Greek and Hebrew. I'm glad I read all those theological books that were thick and amazingly complex at times. I'm glad I did that. But really, it comes down to this. If I love you, I will treat you the way I would like you to treat me. That's what Jesus said. Love your neighbor as yourself. You get that? It's simple, but it's so hard. And that's where the gospel comes in. And that's the appeal this morning. This is where the hope comes in, church, to judge others rightly. That means to discern them fairly, to discern them through the lens of what Christ did for us. So I treat you the way God treated me. Oh, that's profound. Christian. And if you're not a Christian this morning, let me tell you how God in Christ treats you. It is a great story. And it's true. It's glorious news. 
See, it is through Christ's work on the cross that we discern God and God alone. I cannot discern God rightly without God first opening my eyes. I can't see, interpret, discern, perceive, understand. All those are in the range of meaning of the word judge rightly. I cannot discern God rightly unless God first opens my eyes to the gospel. In fact, the Bible says I'm blind and I'm dead to God. But he did. And then I can see who I am. And I can start working on the Home Depot truck full of lumber in my eye before I look at the little tiny dust speckle in your eye. So I can love you properly because I understand I'm the biggest sinner I know. Jesus has forgiven me. That doesn't mean we just let each other get away with whatever. No, but I suddenly begin to be gracious with you. See, it's at the cross that we discern the evilness of evil. It's at the cross that we discern the hideousness of our sin. It's at the cross we discern the gloriousness of Christ's sacrifice to atone for our sin. It's at the cross that we discern the new creation, this whole person righteousness that was forged at the cross. It's at the cross that we discern how God can transform the vilest of sinners, me, and overcome the most evil of sins, mine. Friend, the appeal here is to ask, seek, and knock, verses 7 to 11. And he's a good father. He's not going to give us a serpent or a rock. He hears your prayers for your marriage, for your parenting, for your relationships in the church. There may be somebody here in this church that you just are bothered by. Every time you look at them, you know, you're just like Mr. Darcy. You just, this is this, this angry. Yes. All the ladies laughed at that one because they know that story. All, you know, yeah. They just, they just, they're, I just see what's wrong with you every time I look at you. Friend, you're being proud and you're in God's chair. Get out. Because you don't want God to look at you and see what's wrong with you. And let me tell you something. You think you can see what's wrong with the other person? Oh, God sees what's really wrong with you. And he died on the cross for you. He's going to change you. I'm not saying that, you know, just keep doing what you're doing. But you understand it, right? Okay, here's the appeal. Let us ask, let us seek, let us knock on the door of God's mercy to give you discernment to judge rightly and treat others as Christ treated you and to do to them what you would want them to do to you. This is the stuff, my friends, of whole person righteousness, of whole relationships. This is what we're called to be as a church. This is what it means when the church, when the world looks at us and says they love each other. They're imperfect. They sin against each other. They get mad at each other, but they love each other. They're real. No masks, no games, no show. They're gracious and kind and encouraging. See, this is our position in Christ. It is. May it be our reality in our relationships with one another here on earth, for it will certainly be the reality of our relationships in eternity. Let's pray. Worship team, would you join me up front? Father, I pray in the midst of a a difficult passage, Lord, A passage that, as I read it this week, often I just said, oh, Lord, have mercy on me. How many times, Lord, I've dug for the little speck of dust in the the eye of those that I'm in relationship with, whether it's my spouse or my children, and absolutely missed the Home Depot truck full of lumber in my eye. Lord, thank you for forgiving a hypocrite like me. We come humbly before you. Lord, if there are those right now who you're starting to knock on their their heart there, and by your spirit, they're your people, and you're starting to 
uncover some things, Lord. May they not be condemned, but may they be convicted by your spirit. May they go and repent humbly. Lord, may we do it discerningly. May we be able to discern what's right and wrong. May we be able to help one another with those blind spots as Kyle preached last week. We've all got them. But may we do it graciously with encouragement. May we be different because you've made us new creations. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to find out more resources or see how you can donate to this ministry, simply visit palmvista.org. And be sure to subscribe so you can stay up to date with upcoming teachings.